Welcome to the Matthias Schubacher Podcast, everybody. Hey, I'm happy you're here. Today we're talking about inner child work, and that is kind of an umbrella term. It's You could think of it kind of like a genre of trauma work, a genre of trauma psychotherapy, um, in which you kind of um, deal with the traumatic event as if there is a childhood part of you that holds a wound, um, a part of you kind of locked in time in the internal psyche and in the internal self. And the way to kind of go about healing is both by listening and retrieving that inner child and then dealing with them warmly as if you were um, something like a parent. And, and something we did today, which was really cool, um, I talked to Dr. Leah Katz, who's a psychologist. Um, she has a book out called Gutsy. She's incredible. She um, deals with trauma and anxiety. She's an expert in her field. Uh, something that we talked about today was inner child work. And I kind of brought up some of the common resistance points, some places that people kind of push back against inner child work. Um, namely, the biggest one being that it sounds kind of foofy. And it sounds a little bit strange, like, oh, there's this inner kid, and I need to go talk to the inner kid. And I kind of... Um, not quite playing devil's advocate, but we just explore the places where people kind of get stuck on that. It just sounds a little sugary and strange. And then we give kind of both of our um, responses to some of those places of pushback and, and why we think it actually still has utility and why it's helpful, even if it sounds a little strange on the front of it. And and then Dr. Lee Katz does an amazing job of really even kind of outlining what trauma work would look like, what you could expect if you were to go to a therapist. And and that therapist was like, oh, okay, we're going to do inner child work, um, inner child trauma healing, something along those lines. Uh, okay, what is that? She does a really good job summarizing it. So I, I really enjoyed our conversation. She's incredible. Make sure to grab her book, Gutsy, that is out now. And I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Yeah, I feel like you and I kind of started up our accounts at a similar time. And yeah. so I, I remember following your account when I had like, I mean, very, very few followers. And I, I think that you were just kind of at the beginning as well. And so what's been fun is to kind of watch both of our careers kind of take place and, and kind of take off in their own ways. And it, it's been really exciting. So it's, it has, um, it's been, been super, it has been cool. And I'm trying to remember as I'm listening to you talk, how we first connected on Instagram. Like we had, I don't even know, there's been so many iterations. Well, I remember, <laughs> yeah. I remember um, first encountering your account. I kind of went on this rampage right at the very beginning. So um, a little background on how I kind of got started on everything is I was uh-huh. doing like Instagram photography for several years. So back in like 2016, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Like 2016 was this time of everyone going hiking and taking photos of trees and mountains and lakes. And, and it was just kind of like this thing me and all my buddies did. And so I had this Instagram account that actually got a little bit of attention. Like I had like 30, 40,000 followers or something from photos. And then I graduated uh, from my master's program in psychology. And I was like, oh, I'm going to turn this into like a psychology account. And, uh-huh. and uh, so I started just like written posts, like kind of the tiles that everyone posts, you know, and, and uh, where you have a little quote um, on Instagram and then you write like a little mini blog at the yeah. bottom. And I did that for like nine months with uh, very little to no attention. And I think it was my mom and, and my wife that were liking the posts and a few friends. And um, they were getting, I, and all, all my engagement totally left from the photography stuff. It was, it went all the way down. I think I was getting like six likes on average, just on Instagram from, um, I don't know, from, from several thousand for the photography stuff. And so it was funny. It really did feel like just starting over. Um, cause everyone's like, oh, I came here for nature photos and now you're talking about my trauma. No, thanks. I'm out. And, <laughs> right. and um, and so, uh, no one stuck around. Um, and then, um, 
oh, what happened? So I just started following like every psychology therapist account I could find. I was just looking at hashtags and I was looking at hashtag psychotherapy, hashtag counseling, hashtag mental health matters, you know, whatever. And I think I came across your account there because I followed no joke like 5,000 therapists or something. Um, just because I was like obsessive. I wanted to see what everyone was doing, what everyone was posting, what everyone was like. And then uh -huh. I went through and then I unfollowed like 4,700 people because I was just like, ah, okay, I kind of got the feel for it. It was like a few months and then I just fo followed the people I like. And you were one of those accounts where every time your thing came up, I was uh -huh. just like, oh, wow, that's really insightful. It's really uh, has a lot of depth to it. It's really Aww. interesting. Um, That's nice. That was a great metaphor. And, and you, I don't know, so, something about like kind of being a therapist and having like a therapist Instagram account is, mm. it's funny because you can tell who's read the same books as you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like we've all right, kind of read sure. the ACT Metaphors book. And so like <laughs> everyone's using the ACT Metaphors. Like I know chapter seven <laughs> of that book. And you're using that like and then it's so funny i know <laughs> some people will cite it and then some people won't and we all know oh um, uh, yeah totally you know. totally it's such and, a funny uh, thing yeah so i guess all that long-winded answer to say that i just uh i i think i encountered your account account just through random hashtag following just this mass following spree i went on and then kept kind of following you throughout the years just because i've really enjoyed your content and i think you brought something really fresh and honest and um, insightful to the table that in a world full of everyone kind of sharing their world philosophies in a world of everyone kind of sharing what they find to be really meaningful. Um, you were one of the accounts where I'm like, wow, I really learned something each time I, mm -hmm. I take a second to like sit through and read wow. what That's she's so been nice. posting and it's been personally enriching. So I'm thankful for it. Well, thank you for saying that. It's nice to hear that feedback, you know, because I'm, I'm sure we can relate to what it's like to be on Instagram and be posting all this content and you're not sure how it's yeah. hitting. And and then also yeah. as the account grows, people have different reactions inevitably, which mm -hmm. is okay. But it's just, and it's also just an interesting walk as a therapist to be putting content out there on social media and yeah. sort of like walking that, um, like the boundary, you know, like that, like yeah. staying on the ethical side of things, not, you know, always. Oh man, remind, it's you know, tumultuous. I know. Yeah, I remember so it's just I... Like, I had a professor tell me you need to essentially take down all of your social media accounts and post nothing on social media. Oh, I wow. Like, but, I, but what if I post like a professional stuff? And he's just like, no, it's against your ethics guidelines. And I'm like, it doesn't say that in there, though. Yeah, like we can, I know. We, can, we should be making like uh, Dr. Hillary McBride is, is a friend of mine. And she she says, I think it's part of our ethical mandate to make this accessible for people and to, yeah. you know, to... um to create access to mental health insights for people who can't maybe afford totally. counseling. And, and I that's how that I feel, right? Me too. And that's really yeah. what's keeping me at it is because, and you probably have had these experiences too. Like the more that we put out there and the more that people engage with our material, we realize like, wow, there's so many, there's so many holes that need to be filled or so much education that can be out mm -hmm. there that can be helping people. That's not. And a lot of people can't afford to go to therapy or for whatever reason, can't get themselves into therapy. And so there's ways of making this material accessible without engaging in a therapeutic relationship with yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think a lot of us who have persisted on this journey probably have similar feelings. I know I do. Mm -hmm. So what made you make that jump? Because you're right, there are a lot of ethical considerations. Yeah. You want to make sure to just, you know, protect people's best interests and not, there, there's a whole lot. I've, I've talked about them a lot on my podcast before, but just yeah. like, for example, the you know, not wanting to trigger people, not wanting to wade people into really deep emotional territory where they actually start to react in a way that is harmful and re-traumatizing. And so there's a lot of tact that you need to have in bringing up personal self-growth topics in a way that's safe for people who are high acuity. And so there's, there's sure. stuff like that. And there's also just the reality that you can't fit all the nuance that you want to in like a short video, like 45 seconds. And so 
you don't want to feel like you're watering stuff down and not even just on like a creative level but also on a professional level you feel like a, a bit of a burden of responsibility to give things in the full context and right and to do a good job of that so why why take on all that headache and start posting online it, it looks like you had a successful clinical practice when you started you have your phd like you're mm-hmm. firing on all cylinders so why take on mm-hmm. the headache of posting on social media I, yeah i mean it's, i don't think we've talked about this in in the past and or in our history together but really yeah. what got me on instagram was publishing my book so mm-hmm. i had always you know I, I actually didn't even have an instagram account before i made my professional instagram account now it's like mm-hmm. how many years ago like a little bit over two years ago yeah, um, yeah. i just wasn't i'm not a big social media person and i'm right. very much intent i know you talk about this too with like the mindfulness and feeling like so much of social media and our phones can be distracting. So I just sort of shied away from that. But when I wrote my book and I had this manuscript that I was really ready to publish and wanting to publish. And I just kept on hearing feedback from all around me that I needed to have some sort of author platform and some way where people can find me and producing content so that I could publish this book that I had worked so hard on. Mm-hmm. So really, honestly, like that was what got me on. And then I really fell in love with it. And so like, as, and now my book is published and it's out, thank mm-hmm. God. And I'm like really grateful and happy about that. And I still love engaging with people in this way. There's something very, like what we were just saying before, powerful about interacting with a bigger audience and putting out information, hopefully that's helpful or can get people to transform their lives in some way, you know? And then for those of us who've been on our own personal, like spiritual transformation journeys, there's so much power to being able to do that and wanting to hopefully help people access some of that, you know, with some of the content that I'm putting out there. Yeah, that's really good. Do you feel like there's topics you zero in on more than others? Like how would you describe the topics that you're, that you engage the most? I know. So interesting because, and you've probably noticed this too, but things change and morph with time. Yeah, yeah. So the way that you I was grow posting, and your interests kind of evolve and change. Yeah. And interests evolve and we write more. And it's interesting because I notice a big difference in how I used to write posts two years ago and how my posts are today. And the content of what I'm writing has changed somewhat. You know, So I started off by writing a lot of anxiety content and how to help with anxiety and mindfulness and act-based work. Um, mm. And that's still a big part of my professional practice. And I do talk about anxiety because it's something that I've experienced in my own life. And I feel very mm-hmm. passionate about helping people. Cause I feel like there's so many useful tools that can help people with anxiety. So, there's such good, we have such good data on anxiety. Yeah, such good data. So powerful. Yeah. I know it's so, and it's so yeah. cool to watch people start to learn tools that they can use to help their anxiety and then engage mm-hmm. in their life in a more meaningful way. So that was the beginning of things. And then more recently, and I think it really happened with the writing of my book and the publishing of my book, talking more about our, the inner child work, you know, so I know that that's sort of become a buzzword, but this idea of really slowing down and noticing the stories that we come to adulthood with and what part of our stories are helping us live our rich and most fulfilling lives and what part of our stories are getting in our way. And there's just so much power to noting the story, understanding where it comes from, and then realizing that we can do something to change that story. I mean, it's really, I've done my own work around that and that's why I feel so passionate about it. Mm. Um, Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I I'm right on that same train as you know, and um, maybe for some people um, who don't really know what those references are, like, what do you mean by inner child work? How would you kind of define if someone's like, maybe I've heard some, you know, statements about that, seen a few tiles about it on Instagram or something. What's this inner child lingo? What do you, what do you mean? Yeah. The way that I use it is learning as adults to understand what is propelling our behavior, you know? So learning to separate the separation between who's responding in the situation. Is it me today, like 2022 me in this moment, that's making this choice and having this reaction to this person Mm -hmm. or the situation, or 
Is it my younger self? And we all carry younger versions of ourselves inside of us. And some of them are louder. You know, some, if we had some difficulties growing up, you know, those ages might be a little bit louder and they might get triggered more and come up more in situations today where they maybe run the show more without us realizing it. You know, we can get in, get into autopilot where our younger children are sort of leading us around and we don't even realize it because we have this unprocessed, unhealed old stuff that comes up when things today remind us of old things. So the inner child work is, learning to create more of an awareness of where our response is coming from. And so much of the time, especially like when we notice that we have these unhealthy patterns or unhealthy interrelational things come up for us or things that are just like, we just feel stuck a lot. A lot of times that's coming from old stuff, like that younger child that maybe learned something about who they were way back when that was never true, but we're still carrying that belief and that narrative around with us. And we're not questioning it. And so the inner child work is like, where does this come from? Let me gently question it. Let me rewrite that. Let me engage in behaviors that can get me different feedback today as an adult. Mm. Again, like really to lead us towards like this meaningful life, you know, yeah. our dreams and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, greatly summarized. I think a lot of the, I don't know, the pushback that I, I hear around inner child work, especially, I don't know, like it's it's kind of a metaphorical kind of strange way to describe it. It's like, oh, you have this inner kid in you, like whatever. Mm-hmm. I think especially like my work with male clients, they're a little bit resistant to just some of the imagery part of it is like, mm-hmm. like ah, it's a little strange. Like, yeah, this little kid in me or something that's like making me drink or what? Like, I don't know. And and the way that I kind of, another metaphor that I use to describe it that I think captures it functionally is, is kind of like a software update. It's like mm-hmm. these things happen to you when you're a kid. Um, ways of relating to the world, you could think of them like a software. And then the reality is that all the other devices that you're pairing to change and are updated and yeah. we need to update our systems as well in order for, for everything to like flow and, and work together. Like I needed to update my computer today because my iPad updated and my computer didn't and they weren't syncing together and that was frustrating. And so everything needs to be updated. And so a part of just growing up in the world is consistently being able to update and trauma freezes like your updates. It's like an old program. Right. Right. That keeps you locked into self-reinforcing patterns of interacting with the world. That, and, and that's like a key aspect to it that I talk a lot about. I, I just released a trauma workshop called The Free Mind where I broke mm-hmm. down this whole process. And I was like, I was Incredible. essentially saying that, yeah, it's because they're self-reinforcing. When you, um, mm-hmm. when you uh, never let anyone in so you don't get hurt, you get to the end of the day and you're like, ha, it worked. I, I wasn't hurt. Yeah, I right. didn't let anyone in and it worked. And the reality is like those parts, the childhood parts, to bring it back to the childhood metaphor, is like their only job is to protect, you know, they're not trying to heal. They're not trying to open yourself up to the sophistication of life because the reality is that there's probably some protocols that you could use to tell who's safe to trust, who's not safe Mm -hmm. to trust, Mm -hmm. who's uh, worthy of bringing into deep personal places, who might not be responsible in those deep personal places. And the reality, too, is that you're probably far more resilient than you thought. And if you were hurt again, you might be able to recover and be okay, especially if you had some wisdom going into the relationship in the first place. Right. And that's, that's the sophistication level that you didn't have when you were eight, nine, 10 years old and you're right. waiting through your parents' divorce and you're trying to be right. everything for your mom and for your dad and trying to like play both sides and you feel like you're ripped apart. And so you just need to essentially just block everything out and deny your needs to stay safe. It's like, you know, so people who don't like the inner child mm-hmm. language just because it sounds a little therapist mm-hmm. and foofy. I'm mm-hmm. just like, mm-hmm. It's like a software. You could use, you mm-hmm. could make it mechanical. I like that. It's uh there was a software that just isn't sophisticated enough to deal with everything that you're trying to let in. 
Yeah. And it keeps you locked in. And the bummer part about the software is it's self-reinforcing. And so it hasn't updated since you were nine. I love uh, that. I think I that's what, what, great... How does that strike you? No, I, I like it a lot because I, you know, so I work with mostly women. So mm-hmm. I don't probably, I, we probably encounter different sorts of resistance when we're doing this kind of work. But sure, um, yeah. even just thinking about people in my life, like how that kind of language could really make it feel less you, know, you to borrow your word floofy and something yeah. <laughs> that you know something digestible like you know for someone who doesn't like you know inner child or self-love or just because it just feels like you know something that's not their thing this is a way of making mm-hmm. it accessible I think it's great the software update and um I love it I love it and I think you know a piece of like that inner child work or the software updating is like learning to how we approach it you know so how do we approach like the software old software error or like the, our younger selves. It's like with this tenderness and compassion. And this is something that I think is just so, so meaningful that we could, and here's another one of those words, which, you know, I'm not meaning to use in like sort of a catchphrase kind of way, but like the reparenting that can happen. So it's inner child healing, but then we can really bring our younger selves along on this adult journey that we're having. And when we notice our inner child or that old stuff coming up or the old pain or the old sadness, we can work with that to fill some of those gaps. You know, I actually just had this experience this week because I've done a lot of, and I talk about this in my book too. I've done a lot of my own like inner child healing work on my, with my own therapy in the past and on my own. And um, so I, for my book, I, I went on an afternoon live show in Oregon to talk about the book. And I had always as a kid wanted to go on TV and like act, but it wasn't something that we were really permitted to do because of how I was raised. And I just, you know, always, so I, later in my life, I did improv, which was like a cool healing for me Ooh, like, okay, yeah. as an adult, I'm going to go do some acting. Cause I always wanted to do this, but, um, and it was, so this was my first time, like on a live TV appearance. And I, I meant to, I forgot to, I have a little picture of little me when I'm like three years old in the corner of my bathroom mirror. I meant to like bring her along, like put her in my wallet or just like, you know, but like, that was like the reparent. I'm like, you get to come, come look, look what we're doing. Like, this is the thing you wanted to do. And here we are like filling this, filling this hole, you know, and giving mm. you what you needed, but you didn't have access to. So yeah. I think that that's like the other side of it. It's going back today and it's updating our software and learning new beliefs and stepping into this life that feels more rewarding. And it's, you can't rewrite history, but you could add on to it, you know, and you can mm. give yourself things that you didn't get. Mm. So well put. So what do you mean by the reparenting stuff? I hear that a lot too. A lot of people might wonder what that lingo is about. So reparenting or self-parenting, how, how would you describe that process? Yeah, it's this idea of when you notice your old injuries coming up, you get to be your own best parent, you know? So you mm-hmm. get to meet that younger self. So again, it all starts with that self-awareness of who's here for me now. Is there a younger me that's feeling sad or that's feeling a sense of loss or grief? And can I be the adult that they needed? You know, can mm. I jump in and, and sometimes in the, in the therapy work that I do with my own clients, um, there's visualization work that we can do, you know, with our therapist where we close our eyes and we go back to a memory that's coming up for us, an old memory, a young memory, and we bring ourselves into the memory today. And we give little us what we didn't get at that time, whether it's unconditional love or a hug or perspective or wisdom, um, or even just sitting on our laps, right? Like, it's just, some of this is like the most powerful work we can do, you know, like, just come, come sit with me. Um, so sometimes it's that. And sometimes it's like having these experiences. Like if I have, you know, for like what I just shared with you before, like going, wanting to go on TV and that was something I'd always wanted to do, but I felt like I couldn't do it. And then I, I did it. And then I got to like, sort of reparent myself in that moment and say, come, like, come, like, you're going to, ha- you're going to have this experience with me. It's not just adult me having this experience. It's like the parts of me that felt sad that I didn't get that experience. Mm, yeah, that's so good. That's so well put. Being the being the ideal parent, or how did you phrase it? Being the, the parent need 
Be your own best parent. That's great. Yeah. I, I remember being pretty resistant to that idea myself kind of at the beginning. Um, again, feeling floofy of like, okay, do I need to be my own parent? What, what in the world? And the thing that pushed me over the edge into kind of like embracing some of that lingo was like, you know, it's not just that you have the wrong beliefs about things. It's, it's also there's, there's a bodily experiential aspect to, to all of this that, that if you miss that, you're not going to make much progress. And I actually was compelled through that through reading Bessel van der Kolk's work and kind of understanding a lot of almost the brain science and the impact of trauma on the nervous system and the idea that you can hold trauma in your body is just a very strange idea. And it's not, that's not a word image. That's not a metaphor. That's a, that's an actual, like a biological reality is that you can have somatic presentations of trauma that are held in things like chronic pain, headaches, um, you know, even things like, like the, the first IFS study, internal family systems was actually it, it became a um evidence-based therapy because they used it on people with rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. like people people went in with rheumatoid arthritis and then they processed their trauma and then they had like an efficacy rate of like curing or great really redu- greatly reducing significant pain of rheumatoid arthritis and that was like a shock to everyone that's like you can go through these you know kind of very imagistic kind of very uh creative i don't know i, I kind of think of it that way but it's like talking about reparenting the old self talking to parts like identifying a childhood part or an exile that holds a wound mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and being uh restoring relationship with that part through releasing self-energy all these words that seem to kind of hold this really psychological foofy language mm-hmm. they, they seem to address something very real very real and in the real of a uh, like tangible, physical, like biological. Um, totally. And, and that's what kind of pushed me over the edge to not be so cynical about it and to be, and to be caught up with some of the very um, reparenting the childlike self um, yeah. of my just personality persuasion. I was just like, ah, oh, that, that yeah. was a little off-putting language. But then yeah. when I started to see the studies, I'm like, oh, okay, this is like, addressing stuff held in the body. And this is how I currently kind of think about it is like perhaps the best way to relate to these complex systems of that are that are um, your fight or flight systems, your nervous system, the, the way that these memories are held within the body, the different memories that are missing or um, hyper present and being, you know, presented to you in flashbacks or in nightmares. Maybe there's so many different pieces around this that that the best way to relate to it would be something like a personality because a personality mm-hmm. is like this constellation of different mm-hmm. uh, features and um, constellation of different factors that are all working together and some sort of agreement, but all with unique kind of characteristics all on their own. And so like yeah. we relate, we have like neural pathways and um, what's the right word? Reflexes. We have reflexes for being able to relate to a personality and relate to Uh, a relationship and so when you start treating yourself like you have a relationship to yourself yeah you start to witness that you also talk back and you relate back and then you start noticing all these strange things like you have disagreements with yourself on things and you have mistrust towards yourself you don't one part of you believes something and the other part doesn't and and all these strange things start to come up when you start relating to yourself as if you're in relationship to you and 
and many of the people like in the IFS world mm-hmm. uh, don't think this is metaphorical. They think this is like a literal metaphysical reality is that you are multiple parts and you have a literal metaphysical inner child and all that. I don't take it all the way there yet. I'm, I'm happy just think about it as a metaphor and then noticing that it has a lot of utility for being able to cure trauma. And this is really cool. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get all the way to the edge. Um, Frank Anderson, he's the lead trainer of internal family systems. I've just... I've just started working th- with him pretty intensely and he's become wow. a and, and oh, so I'm sure, incredible. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. It's really exciting. I'm really pumped about it, but I'm sure that after is, a year working with him on a regular basis, he'll probably convince me of it. But, um, that, that sounds so cool. I'm actually reading his book. It's no, there's oh, yeah. no bad parts for yes. a book club with my colleagues. So we're, Oh, we're that's so that. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. um, his work with Dick Schwartz, I did was Dick Schwartz, um, working on that one. No bad parts. Was that you know, um, I don't even remember who wrote it. I don't have it in front of me. It's okay. So Dick Schwartz is like the lead guy who made it. Frank is like uh-huh. his number two. Uh-huh. Um, they've written, I think they've co-written and worked on a bunch of different things together. So Transcending Trauma is, wow. is Frank's big book that he, this most recent thing. Um, but yeah, so it's like, uh-huh. I, I was I was just, to bookend that, I was just going to say like, for, for people who are kind of resistant to a lot of the metaphorical, almost kind of um, abstract language around like kind of the inner child and the reparenting it's like yeah if you follow the mechanisms psychologically um that run parallel to a dynamic as if like is essentially if you act as if you have a childhood self and you act as if you need to reparent the childhood self things happen so you can almost take a very pragmatic approach it was like okay whether this is metaphysically true whether this is a little bit abstract and kind of foofy whatever if you act as if it's the case you'll start noticing things shift and change and it's really powerful. And then even if it is just a story, because our, our minds are pretty flexible and interesting that they can attach onto different stories, even if it's a metaphysical story or a metaphorical story, it might still work. And and I guess I'm 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 assuming a lot of resistance in the listener to this. But I, I don't know. I haven't <laughs> I haven't really taken it upon myself to try to make a case for it before. I'm like, this is cool and it really does something really powerful. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What comes to your mind as I'm exploring all that? I just, you know, I've said this in our talk so far today, but like having witnessed the effects of it in my own life and then paralleling that to the work that I do with clients, I think this work is profound. And this is, you know, so my training way back when I was in graduate school, I went to a cognitive behavioral program and that was like our graduate school training, you know, like where we were like taught a lot of and very helpful and science-based techniques to work with anxiety and all kinds of depression with using CBT. And I think that those techniques are amazing and helpful and like really concrete. And I love sharing them with clients. And I also felt in my own journey, you know, trying to like sort of when I was younger and figure myself out and, and figure out what was keeping me stuck. But then also in the work that I do with clients, I really feel like this work is like the, the perfect supplement, you know, so doing like the parts-based work, the inner child work, the reparenting so, so, so many of us come to adulthood with something that we're not even aware of that's keeping us stuck in some way and creating an awareness around it. Mindful, the mindfulness work, you know, like the MBSR. It's interesting because when you said, I didn't know that, that the first IFS study was with rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the first ones that established them as an evidence-based study. So I think they've done previous studies before that, but the one that like kind of put them on the map. was, was the So that's so map. cool. And, you know, it's a similar story with the MBSR, like the mindfulness-based mm-hmm. stress reduction mm-hmm. that John Kabat-Zinn did and his university on the East Coast, where he was working with chronic pain patients. And and they were treatment-resistant chronic pain patients who had undergone lots of different 
forms of intervention to help with the pain. And then they did this eight week mindfulness-based stress reduction course where they were learned, they were taught the principles of mindfulness and, mm-hmm. um, and they had dramatic reductions in their pain scales. And so, oh. and I, so that was actually my intro to mindfulness and starting to do this work was going on a retreat. All, it was eight years ago now, actually eight years ago, exactly eight years ago. You know, I was on mm-hmm. this med- seven day meditation retreat for the first time. And it, it totally blew my mind and it totally changed my life. I came back from that, I think really changed. And so um, I think that it complements the parts work. They all, they all sort of hold hands with each other. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a common thread. There's a through line. How would you start? Like, okay, so someone listening might be thinking like, okay, there's this parts work, the inner child. Okay, I need to reparent the inner child. What would that even look like practically? So do you go in and then start like talking to an inner kid? Or like, what, what does that look like on a practical side of things like in a therapy session? Could you describe it? Yeah, I, I think it look it could look a lot of different ways, but a lot of times the way that I apply it and use it in therapy is if someone's coming in and they're noticing they're they're engaging in patterns that aren't working for them, whether it's, you know, taking jobs that they don't really want to take or getting involved with people that really aren't great for them or uh keeping family members in their life that just keep on hurting them. You know, so when there's a pattern of something going on, that's a clue that there's old stuff that's propelling that that's not coming from ourselves today. That's wanting to make our best choices to lead us towards our most meaningful lives. So it's pausing and asking ourselves, where is this pattern coming from? What feelings are here for me now, you know, in in these patterns? And when do I remember feeling them when I was younger Mm. and going back in time, I just feel like that bridge can be so powerful because like, and I've seen so many aha moments, like, oh, so the feeling of defectiveness that comes up for me when I'm with this person or in these types of situations or the self-doubt that comes up for me, it's not really about what just happened in this moment. It's about this old, old learning, this old thing that started when I was eight years old Mm -hmm. and then was reinforced over the years from a caregiver or a parent or a teacher can come from, you know, and, and that's why this feeling comes up for me. And that's why I keep on doing these things. So I think it's, creating that bridge. When do I remember feeling this way when I was younger? And then, like I said before, I think some of the visualization that imagery work can be so powerful, like, because we do that in session, let's go back to the memory, you know, an early memory I have of feeling this way. Let me bring myself today in and offer little me what I needed, but I didn't get in that moment, whether it's like that hug or the perspective or the wisdom. And to know that we can keep on doing that, you know, out of therapy. So now we have the tool when we notice some big reaction coming up or some pattern. And oftentimes like that's a clue, like that's that the younger child is here is when we're having like a really big reaction to something that adult us knows, like, "Hmm, I don't really need to be reacting this strongly in this moment. But so there's something here for me. Um, And then we can do this work. We can, you know, if take a moment, go to the bathroom, close our eyes, you know, and just who's here for me now. And what do they need? You know, what do Mm -hmm. they need from me? And what do, what, you know, is there something they want to tell me? What do they want to hear from me? You know, you can really do this work. Um, Yeah. And then, like I said, I think sometimes it's also just like reminding your younger self that they get to come along with you and all the things that they missed out on in their childhood, you know? So as you have these healing experiences for yourself, if you're a parent, I know you're a parent, I'm a parent and you're doing things with your kids that you didn't get growing up, you know, little you can come metaphorically or in your own mind and nobody even needs to know that, you know, but like they're there, they're there, they're going to the zoo with you or they're, they're there having this like really cool family experience that you didn't get to have. Yeah. Ah, so well put. And those moments are so warm and meaningful. Yeah. I had, I had one of those um, moments just going to like a theme park recently. 
and just letting kind of that young version of me just be playful mm-hmm. and excited and Aww. not feeling embarrassed that I was like overly pumped <laughs> to kind of just be a kid at a theme park for a day. And that's a yeah. wonderful. I also have this electric skateboard um, that I'm a little embarrassed to ride around the neighborhood, but I do it anyway because it's like <laughs> I'll put on like my skateboard helmet and then I, it's a it, you have a little remote and it'll just like essentially carry you it's like skateboarding without all the kicking it's kind of cheating but um <laughs> yeah like in the warm summer nights with the fireflies and everything here in nashville just just playing and like skateboarding around the neighborhood as a kid there's these moments i actually had a um, psychoanalyst help me figure this out he i went and saw a psychoanalyst for a little while just for personal therapy and something you focused a lot on was was kind of what do you do what are the habits that you have where you let your inner kid have fun and mm-hmm. enjoy your life and and that you're doing it for him and that was a strange thing to think about at the time. And, and, and that was one of the things I did is I bought this skateboard and oh. uh, I skateboarded as like a seventh grade kid. And so I, I think that's so awesome. Oh, that's so, so great. They actually so have all these. And, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, no. I was just going to like, just jump on that and just say like, you know, I can relate to that too. Like they just yeah. opened a new park near our house and, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it was like watching my kids, like that they've been building this park for a year and a half. So we've been like watching it slowly. Like now it's finally up, but like in, engaging in like the fun of that with them, yeah. you know, like jumping on the trampoline, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's, it's letting ourselves go there. And I like the mm-hmm. word that you use playful, you know, cause I think mm-hmm. sometimes, and this can be a turnoff for some people there's like this intensity maybe, or this heaviness that comes with thinking about doing this work. And a lot of people might feel like, or some people might feel like, I don't want to do that. Like, it just feels really heavy and intense to me. And I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that, but we can also learn to bring some playfulness into it, you know, all the way around. And I, and I love that. I think it's great. Yeah. Learn how to give yourself permission to, to let those moments in. Like one thing I, I did when we first moved to our house is I wanted to like fill this tree that we have right outside of our living room window with bird feeders. Uh Um, and it aesthetically doesn't look good. Like it's not a cool look, but I just wanted to see a bunch of birds. And like, I, it was this kid like part of me Uh that, um, that I don't know, just like I, as a kid, I remember building birdhouses and thought that was really fun and just collecting all these little bugs and insects and keeping them in jars. And so one of the little things I did was just like getting really stoked on these bird feeders. And it's those little things where you can be a little bit adult and cynical about it like it doesn't look good it's not aesthetically right it's kind of expensive are you gonna have to you're gonna have to fill all these bird feeders like once a week the squirrels are gonna get them (laughs) and then you just you just let yourself go there and Uh i think you're so right some of the inner child work can feel really dark and somber but i've learned that it actually leads to a lot of playfulness and lightheartedness and fun because oh it's it's not childishness in this pejorative immature way it's it's like recapturing a bit of magic yeah, and I think whenever I think of men or women that I really look up to and admire, like old men or women, like the type of mentors, like gray hair type of people, it's the people who have that playfulness that actually really are deeply inspiring. You don't, it doesn't look like immaturity. It looks like wisdom. No, no I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if you've gotten to talk to Steve Hayes yet. I, my, my guess is that's around the corner, but if, if not, because he's kind of making his circuit around the podcast world right now uh-huh. um for for some of us instagram and tiktok therapists so that's exciting for, for that, us to that's get to meet very a hero. Cool. i haven't i haven't talked to him but i know that you did an interview with him which was really yeah cool. yeah, yeah yeah well i'll i'll try to connect you both because i think it would be a great conversation but i want to hear that one i want to hear you guys talk but um <laughs> so steve has this playfulness to him as well and it was so funny because I remember emailing him to talk, and and again, Steve Hayes is like one of my heroes. I read about him in Masters. Like I studied his books. I, I like so I hold this 
guy on the highest pedestal you could hold a dude like he was my hero still is a hero and I remember emailing him and <clears throat> getting really stoked that I that I was through a long facilitation got his email and uh I was like hey do you want to do a podcast and then he just says are you free today at all like and I was just like and I was like canceling plans I'm like yeah 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 sure yeah I'm free and he's like great I have to drop my son off at karate but I'm free after that for a bit and I was just like he's like Cool. Wow. And and just like this kind of playful, I don't know, I didn't communicate it well just then, but just the, there was this almost kind of playful, funny, just like, ah, you free right now? I was like, all right, I got karate. Can we do it after? And then just talking to him, there was like this really casual air of kind of playfulness and a little bit of a spark, um, even though we're talking about Incredible. suffering, you know, and psychology. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. There's a part of him that's kind of playful. And it was reminiscent of an interview I saw with him. He was doing a trauma therapy for, or not, not trauma therapy, uh, an act therapy training for some therapists. And he wanted to use a word analogy where he would stand up on a stool on the stage. And he's climbing up on this stool, and the guy's like 70-something. And, and we're, everyone's a little terrified, and no one's quite knows if the insurance would cover whatever was going to happen next. And uh, and then he makes the joke. He's like, you guys got good insurance for this? And, he, and so he stands up on his stool and he's like wobbling around and no one's breathing. Everyone's just nervous. And he's just laughing. And he looks like he's just having a fun time. And Incredible. and he does this little analogy thing talking about this. And he's like standing on like a stool. And wow, we're all worried wow. that this is going to be the end of a wow. Um, but it was, amazing. it was a powerful metaphor and it was just oh, fun. And I so think powerful. I just left kind of respecting the guy. It's like, man, when someone has integrated their playfulness and their fun and they don't see it as a contaminant or a defect, but they also have integrated it in a way that captures things like maturity and seriousness and hard work and all those things. It is just a, a sight of glory. It is so fun and it's so electric. I don't know how to describe it, but. Oh, I know, but I, I really, it's resonating completely. And I, I, you know, I've met, you know, my own version of, you know, like Steve Hayes, or I've gone on these meditation retreats um, with John Kabat-Zinn. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. read any of his books, but. um, Yeah, no, I haven't. But um, it's the same sort of energy and it's, it's incredible, right? It's like, it's, it's the holding that dichotomy, that balance of, knowing how serious this is because it's our life and it's this Mm -hmm. one life and with the meditation it's learning to really like soak into the moments because Mm -hmm. they're quick and this life is quick so there's so much seriousness in that Mm -hmm. and the other side of that dichotomy is like and there's so much play and humor and like even like that's something that I've loved in the mindfulness work that I've done and which is why I try and like kind of bring up bring mindfulness out into the world more because we can really learn to relate to like the the more severe heavier parts of ourselves with a certain lightness you know like one one phrase that John Kabat-Zinn uses in his meditation retreats that I've been on is like with the lightness with the lightest of touches you know you get to Mm -hmm. like hold look at it with the lightest of touches and there's something about that phrase that I think just captures that it's we're looking at it we're we're honoring it it's something big but we're also just lightly touching it, you know, like, just mm. like, the, just look at it in this sort of, <laughs> this sort of way. I'm having a hard time articulating what that. No, yeah, I think I feel that, that, uh, yeah, there's a magic there. That there's, there's almost kind of that same dynamic that we're talking about in something like Dumbledore from the, um, yeah, that's what that made me think of. Yeah, this twinkle, this playfulness, this mystery, this lightness, this, this seriousness, like, it's not like he's being incompetent. Like he's just no. And there's a trust there that like yeah. there's 
know there's something you want to follow and see like where that person has been and where it might mm-hmm. be you because there's something oh, yeah. powerful about it you know it's funny mm-hmm. actually because I just we uh, in my family and with my kids we just started watching the Harry Potter movies <laughs> so that's probably <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry Potter. like but Dumbledore is such a cool figure <laughs> oh she wrote him so well we watching them like there's a lot of psychology analogies in Harry Potter you know like oh I gosh. read them when I was in high school so that was oh, like man. a long long time ago for me um yeah they're I very just, wise. Uh... I was just reading some more Jung and and diving deeper into like Jungian ar- archetypes. And then I'm just like, gosh, Rowling knew her mythology. Like I know. JK Rowling just knew her archetypes and her symbols. And it's just cool? thick of symbolism. It's just, it is. It's she neat. nailed it. The things that I just went over my head when I read them, you know, now I'm watching <laughs> yeah. them, I'm like, what is deep? It's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I agree. Oh yeah. That's so great. I am. Um, kind of rewinding a little bit to when we were talking about how would you even kind of start work like this I I like your depiction of it too and and I've been learning I'm kind of a student in this still so I'll recapitulate it with the caveat that I'm still putting the pieces all together so this might not be um canon um (laughs) of of how this is supposed to be described but like in an IFS world it is kind of also noticing those points of indecision it's noticing those points of inner conflict and and that especially shows up when we have a behavior that's popping up that I don't want to pop up, or I have a behavior that I want to be able to exert, but it, for whatever reason, I can't get myself to do it. Mm-hmm. And so like, I keep losing temper at my kids, but I don't want to. I'm going to keep drinking, but I don't want to. Uh, I want to go to the gym and work out, but for whatever reason, I can't. I want to, you know, so we have these points of internal conflict and then, you know, personifying those parts as having their own perspectives and their own point of view and then letting them have a conversation is really powerful. And I think people could do that even in journaling exercises. Like, yeah, I mean, it's cool to come to a therapist that has like a protocol and an actual like structure to be able to walk this through. Like in IFS, there's this whole process that they call them blending. And then you move towards talking to protectors and then exiles and, and unburdening. Like there's all these different steps, which is fascinating and wonderful and cool. Um, but there's also something just innately human about mm-hmm. about taking yourself seriously. And then when you have a disagreement with you, yeah. treating that with a degree of seriousness in the sense of, I think we're really quick to just be critical and be like, oh, we're just lazy. We're just pathetic. For we're sure. just this. We're just that. And in act language, like we want to assign like a value to the content of us without raising awareness to the context that we're in and that there might be a pretty good reason that you don't want to go to the gym and maybe you're in denial of how hard you've been pushing yourself in some other areas and yeah and maybe you're kind of already burning candles at both ends and it's kind of exhausting or you feel yeah. like you're not but maybe you're holding an emotional burden that has actually taken up a lot of your bandwidth that you actually need to face and process and think about but you're avoiding it with such intensity and with, and it's taking so much energy to avoid it that gosh you don't have energy to go to the gym and when you start thinking like that Mm-hmm. It's not, I think we're reflexively like, oh, I don't want to give myself excuses. I don't want to be in denial. And it's like, hey, actually, maybe the conversation would actually be more helpful if you were just to merit that you have different parts of you that have different yeah. opinions. Yeah. And sometimes, like we're saying, it's a, it's a part that is very much rooted in the past that holds a story, that holds an experience from the past that is functioning like kind of this, that software, like we we're talking about. It's, it's, it's getting in the way, quote unquote because it has something to share it has a story to tell yeah and yeah and unlocking that it can be really powerful um there's the story from king arthur the old the old king arthur stories where he's sitting with his knights at the round table 
and then they're looking for the Holy Grail. And Jung talks about how the Holy Grail symbolizes like this um, psychological ascent. It's the place of redemption and renewal. The Holy Grail is the thing that can bring you into the transcendent and the divine, right? Uh, and all his typical Jungian archetypal glory, he, he breaks that down. And, and so then King Arthur tells each of his men at the round table, um, go and look in the forest and look into the forest and find the point that's darkest to you. Mm. and start looking there mm. wow and it's a pretty powerful image wow to say that the thing that you want most the thing that can redeem you is found in the place you least want to go ah oh, that's so powerful and i think rumi has some says something like that too like that from the darkness light will shine or something i can't remember the exact but there's yeah they're beautiful it's a beautiful yeah. metaphor beautiful way of, yeah of thinking it's, about um, it i mean and we know that metaphorically in all sorts of different stories too i mean that even in the harry potter stories that you know that the uh, the philosopher's stone is is found in the basement underneath underneath the basilisk and beyond all the scary tumultuous things held by the big villain himself. Like, you know, it's yeah, it's um, and for Harry too, looking in the mirror, the mirror was his parents. The mirror was everything I that know. he lost. It's his grief, yeah. and it's actually looking into the grief that he that the stone is departed into his pocket. It's like, right. It's the place he least wanted to go in the castle. It's the place he least wanted to go in his own heart. It's the place, you know, and that's where he finds the philosopher's stone, which which is the same symbol. It's 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 the holy grail symbolically. It's it's the it's the thing that that brings insight and transcendence and and refreshing renewal. It's it's amazing. It's powerful. Anyway, I'm getting too union, but um. It's, no, but I it's, it's, I hear it. It's touching me, you know. And the word that I think of when I think about this stuff is like the word that I, I love. This word, it's tender. Like just really learning to be tender with ourselves, you know, and like look inward and not, you know, learn to yeah. notice the fear coming up, you know, because it's hard to look at the hard stuff, and it's you know our human tendency is to want to avoid and distract ourselves away from it. So it takes a lot of bravery. And I write about that in my book too. Like this is the bravery it takes to look inward, but the, it's so freeing. It's, it can, it can be so freeing, you know, to look yeah. inward, to notice what's there, to learn to embrace it in this really tender, compassionate way. Yeah. Um, for me, that comes up a lot of times when I meditate, you know, when I try and do my meditation in the morning, I notice like the different parts of me and it's, you know, how they're masked by the dialogue that's going on in my mind as I'm meditating, you know? So if I, my mind was wandering or I was thinking about the things that I need to do that day, and then I bring my attention back to my point of awareness that I'm focusing mm -hmm. on, then I notice right away that judging thought of like, oh, look, you just wasted the last five minutes. You were supposed to be meditating. Oh, now you're finally doing it right. You know, I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. who's here? Who is that? What, where's that coming from? You know, in this really tender, compassionate way. It's like, I, I, it's funny because it's before I like started to read and learn about parts work, but I would like call them like the different like bits, like the grumbly bits, the grumbly bits of myself, you know, like the grumblers yeah. who come and grumble and tell me I'm not doing it well enough or good enough. And, and now like through this work and through learning more about it and doing my own therapy work and my own meditation work, it's just learning to really meet those with this compassion and tenderness and say, come, you can come meditate, come out of the shadows. Like you can come mm -hmm. meditate with me, come sit on my lap, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and where, and who are you really all about? You're like, where are you? What, what, where did you develop? You know, there's a lot of fear underneath those mm -hmm. parts, you know, fear of, and they came from, and there's a lot of gratitude now that they did have a survival component in my life when I was younger, you know, yeah. in terms of like needing to do things a certain way and getting by. And there is that adaptive survival aspect. So thanking them for that and, and releasing them. Mm. Like, it's okay. I don't, it's okay. I don't need you to serve that function in my life anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's so good. Being able to notice that it's, um, it's a change in like when those, when those places come up, our gut instinct is just to avoid it or try to control it. Mm -hmm. Right. Those, mm -hmm. those are the instincts is, 
for sure. I feel this vulnerability, this like agitation, this fatigue, this uncertainty, this fear, this criticism, this shame. Yeah. And then I got to get away from that, shut that down, get away from the thing that's provoking it, or I need to sink my teeth into it and control it and and get it to do what I want. And I can do that by controlling myself and like criticizing or controlling the outward environment. I get critical and bitter and nagging and, and controlling and manipulative, whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. it's changing our response to exactly what you're saying. Curiosity, a bit of compassion, and actually bringing that feeling in close. Yeah, yeah. And the way you would bring close a child. Exactly. And, and when you do that, the thing that felt so scary the thing that felt dark, the area in the forest that was darkest to us, is actually trans- transforms. It becomes something of like a, the philosopher's stone, the holy grail. It's the renewal. Right, right. It, com- and it like, becomes a, a basin of yeah. playfulness and joy and meaning in our lives. Yeah. And again, it's like that tenderness. It's like, because I really do think a lot of these things like do have their roots in old fear, young fear. Yeah, you know, we yeah, developed yeah. this way of being because we were afraid in some way that something bad would happen to us because when we're kids, we are so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, for example, like what I'm talking about before about like that inner critic, you know, the, the part of me that I've worked with, you know, like that's been so harsh and you got to do it right and do it better that came from an old place where I had had to do it better and had to, you know, like, because I was young and vulnerable and those were the messages that I, you know, that I received. And so now when it comes out, I, I see that. And then I see the fear behind that. And I say, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You know, thank you for what you've done, you know, and how you've gotten me places, you know, you pushed me and I did things because of you and it's okay. Like we can let go of that fear. Like we can learn it's self-trust. We can trust ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Know that we've got it. We don't need that edge to accomplish things. You can accomplish it with like compassion too. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Thanks for diving into just the explanation on all this. I think what's so cool is getting to um getting to consider this and hear your approach to get to reflect on how I approach it. And and so much of this is sometimes captured in these small little Instagram tiles or um, little blogs that it's hard to kind of feel like you kind of can wrap your head around what the process is really like. So, mm-hmm. you know, I hope if you're listening that um, that felt more informative for what that is. But then also I, I would really recommend you guys go grab her book, Gutsy. It's incredible. It's I, I've been reading it today, just kind of prepping for the talk and um, and gave it a great read when uh, we were doing the uh, um, review for your book. I just really think Thank it's you. it's really practical. It dives into like real tangible skills for being able to address things like insecurity and self-criticism and that anxiety, like you're saying, and it's deeply personable. Um, sharing so much of your own story and being so vulnerable, it's it's really something powerful. I'm so thankful you put it out into the world and worked so hard to, you know, to do the, you know, the, I don't know, to grind on Instagram and all that so that people could get access to it and see it. It's really something, um, yeah, meaningful and profound. Thank you. Thanks for what well, you're doing. Thank you. Thank moment. you for saying that. And thank you for your support with the book and for reading it mm-hmm. and reviewing it. That was, it was special. And thank you for this conversation. I really enjoyed getting to speak with you in yeah. person, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Really yeah. Nice. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on and then we'll cut it right there. Okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. Outro music. Cute. Mm-hmm.